welcome to episode four of the Really Bad Ideas podcast. Uh, we're back after a week off because I had a couple of things to take care of, such as uh, writing and finishing my PhD thesis. But we are now back, bringing you the continuing adventures of the Jack Alibuck and Lutze as they travel through the world of Esthia, completely blissfully unaware of the fact that I hold their fate in my hands. As a quick recap... At the end of the last episode, we saw the party return from the Ruined Mage's Tower, successfully retrieving the Golden Fan they were sent to get there by Darvis Shorthall. He then gave them the prospect of more work, taking that fan to a collector in Magnamar. Those of you who are familiar with the Galarian setting for Pathfinder 1st and 2nd edition may recognise the name Magnamar, uh, because that is indeed where it's from. We're still very early in the adventure when I wasn't uh, particularly comfortable adding bits of my own world yet. Uh, we will get to those in the future. They've been told that the Collector is interested in obtaining items that are related to old religions, dead deities, and that the symbols that they have found on the fan relate to an old deity known as Vez. While shopping around town to get ready for the trip, the party was accosted by a group of big bad orcs, one of them holding a flaming greatsword. They proceeded to approach Dejack and punch him right in his little face which he was none too pleased about, especially when they then went on to threaten the safety of his mother. For those of you who have recently joined us, Jack is on a quest to find his mother, who have left their village, taking with her the sacred axe of their tribe. I'm very excited to get to this part of the story, because I think this is where the campaign really starts to pick up, at least from my point of view. So without any further delay, let's start Really Bad Ideas, Session 4, Fetch Me the Head of Dar Dimplefoot. <laughs> The encounter with the orcs has left the jack shaken, and rightfully it should. Up until now, he's not really faced any sort of challenge to his own strength. Meeting an orc that's much larger and much stronger than him seems to have shaken him somewhat. But then maybe it's the mention of his mother. The large orc said that he'd heard she was heading towards Galadria. But the group have a job now. They need to get to Magnamar to deliver the fan to a collector known as Galadir Carfield. The party gather around to have a discussion and consult their map. Fortunately, Galadria seems to be not that far out of the way on the way to Magnamar. I am benevolent GM, a river to my people, as Matt Colville often says. As I record this, I realise I may have omitted to mention what we decided to Jack's mother's name is. Now, this is one of those beautiful things when playing Pathfinder, D&D, any tabletop RPG, when you have one of these moments with your players, and it's absolutely hilarious, but it sticks and becomes part of the canon. So... I don't think that Jack's player had really prepared a name for his mum. So when we were at the table, he said, oh, well, we've got to go and find my mum. And I said, what? Jackie?" And that has stuck. Her name is Jackie. We find it hilarious. Moving on. The players decide that they're going to travel to Galadria before heading to Magnamar. A fine decision. It's going in the way I want them to. I have prepared for this eventuality. The journey covers a fair amount of distance, and I know that some GMs, DMs in this situation, will choose to roll random encounter tables, but I think that kind of stretches it out. It's not necessarily fun, and unless it serves the story, I know that Abyssal Brews on Twitter has recently released a pack called Campfire, which is reported to make travel for D&D 5th edition much more entertaining. Uh, Sadly, I wouldn't know. Don't use that system. However, everyone I know who has used it says that it's absolutely fantastic, and if you played D&D 5th edition, you might want to give it a go. So I'll put details of that in uh, the liner notes if you want to come to the website and check that out. There'll be some details there. 
The party arrive in Galadria and immediately start questioning the locals as to the whereabouts of the large orc woman. Many of the residents point to a man, Roland Nell, who was recently seen in the company of someone matching that description. The party find him, and when they speak to him, he tells them that he recently allowed an orc woman to stay in his barn. She was heavily injured. She claims to have been involved in a fight in a nearby forest. One of the interesting things he says is that she happened to be covered in large wounds, specifically burns, and the party link this to the orc they met in Sandpoint. While this is all happening, discussions about fires and forests makes Jezebel think that perhaps they're also on the trail of the people who burned down part of her home. The players ask to see the barn in which she stayed, and they search for it. A DC-15 perception check turns up a bracelet in which is inscribed tribal markings from Dejak's tribe. At this point, Roland speaks up again and mentions that he did overhear her saying something about the village of the Black Dragons. The character Dejak knows exactly what he's talking about. He knows that the Black Dragon tribe will also be involved in the contest. They will also have a sacred weapon and a champion. Problem is, he was never told where they are. Feeling like they've discovered all they can from Roland and the village of Galadria, the party move on to Magnamar. Now, as I mentioned before, Magnamar is not an original creation of mine. It's from the Galarian Pathfinder setting. And for the most part, I've decided to keep it unchanged for the use in my campaign. It's known as the City of Monuments with a population of about 16,000. And half of the city, the rich half, is situated on top of a 300-foot-tall cliff. So that is very significant and very imposing when you approach the city. Indeed, it's one of the first things the players notice as they arrive. After some negotiation with the guards, they're allowed in. They have been told that Galadir keeps an old shop of curios in a district called the Silver Shore. As they're travelling through the city, the rest of the party notice that Dar is being a bit more cagey than usual, pulling up his hood, glancing into the every shadow that they come across. Eventually they confront him. Dar, what's going on? Nothing. It's absolutely fine. Nothing, we just need to keep moving. We'll keep moving, we'll go and see Galadir, and everything will be alright. Dar, seriously, ever since we got here, you've been acting really shifty. What's going on? Look, don't worry about it. I'll be fine, we just need to carry on. Alright, and they do all the way to the front of Galadir's shop. It's evening by the time that they arrive here, and the city is slowly winding down around them, at least in the district they're in. Being mostly commercial, a lot of the shops have closed up for the night, and this is the case with Galadir's. I'm sure at this point many parties would say, fair enough, it's late. Tell you what, we'll go have a drink somewhere, come back in the morning when it's bright. But not my party. My party decide that, you know, it might be worth just breaking in and seeing what he's gone in there. We can see a few fancy stuff from in the window. But he might be upstairs, who knows? This is going to be quicker than having to wait until tomorrow. Why do people think it's okay to do things in tabletop RPGs that they wouldn't normally do in real life? Must be the lack of consequences. To add a further complication, the party decide that they don't want to try the front door. They're going to try the back door. Dar Dimplefoot, consummate professional, sidles round into the alleyway behind the shop where he finds a door. A door which is locked, presumably because the owner does not want anyone getting into his property after dark when he's not there. Nah. Dar tries the lock, rolling high enough to unlock it first time. Incidentally, this is one of those skills that often comes up in conversation between players and DMs. If the player doesn't have any time pressure on him, and it's reasonable to assume that given enough time he would unlock the lock, do you just let them do it without a roll? 
I'm very much in favour of this. I think that roles should only be implied when they have some sort of consequence. It keeps the game going, and doesn't make success or failure feel arbitrary. So he unlocks the door. He walks inside. He sets off a trap. Now I don't know whether this was still early days and players weren't used to concepts like looking for traps, or whether it was just the sheer hubris of Dar Dimplefoot's player that he thought he could get in, but either way, he sets off a trap, much to the groans around the table. Immediately a large blade, like a guillotine, descends from the top of the doorframe, almost skewering Dar Dimplefoot were it not for a successful reflex save. From the front of the shop, the rest of the party just hear a large clamour and a shh as the blade descends. Immediately they run round to see what happened, finding Dar lying on the floor. But he's not alone. Around him are several hooded figures, dressed in leather armour. The party run in to help him, only to realise that there are more figures lining the rooftops around them. Dar stammers, implying that the party need to get away and they won't survive if they stay to fight. So they run. Interestingly, this is the first and only time I've known them to take the run now advice. What follows is a series of skill challenges as the characters make their way through Magnamar trying to shake their pursuers. Crates, dead ends, milling crowds, all provide barriers between the players and escape. The challenge was set up so that I described the situation that the players came across and they were each allowed to roll a particular skill depending on how they thought they were going to get out of it. You can do this two ways. You can either have the character describe how they want to do it and then get them to roll the appropriate skill, or you can have the character say, well, this is my highest skill, so can I roll this? And you can roleplay something. Depends how nice you are, I suppose. But in this case, they all succeed. Their reward for succeeding is an encounter which would have been much more difficult if they hadn't succeeded and lost a lot of the people on their tail. The party burst into an open courtyard, surrounded on all sides by buildings, windows and doors, many of which now contain similar figures to the ones they were trying to outrun. Roll initiative. Many of the figures are equipped with light crossbows and daggers, imposing and thematic but really they don't do much damage, so if you want to throw a lot of enemies at a group of low-level players, these are really good weapons to use. The fight ensues, and the party make full use of the scenery, with Lutze climbing the walls, flipping around, throwing people off of balconies, screaming to the floor. The Jack, perhaps trying to make up for the shame he suffered in Sandpoint, lashes around with his axe, brutally harming many of their attackers. But eventually, one of their attackers shouts out, It's Dimplefoot we want! Give him and the rest of you can leave! Many of the party seriously consider this. Dar seems shocked by the implied betrayal. Guys, you can't just give me up. What do you mean? You've been nothing but trouble since you started following us. Yeah, but you never know when you might need someone to unlock doors in the future. Are you going to set off more traps just like you did at the shop? That's hardly fair. The conversation goes on, but eventually Dar persuades the party to follow him as he's taken to meet the leader of this group. The building that they're led to is in the marches one of the poorer parts of the city. The cobbled streets are flanked by shops and residences that have definitely seen better days and are in dire need of care. Here, men and women dress in slightly tatty clothes, and many sit to the side of the streets and beg for scraps. Dar quietly informs the party that this area of the city is home to many of its organised crime families. The party give each other sidelong glances at the thought of how Dar is aware of that information. Eventually they come to what is apparently a plain door, the men with them knock on it, a shutter is drawn aside, and a password is quietly exchanged. Furtive perception rolls prove that the party did not hear what was said, sadly for them. They're led inside, and it seems that much of the first floor of this property has been lent over to some sort of strange meeting hall. 
It seems that much of the walls have been removed, replaced with only load-bearing pillars. Around where the first story would be sits only a balcony, packed with ruffians and scoundrels who leer and jeer as the party arrive. In the centre of the room sits a ramshackle throne, made of old bits of wood, metal, and other refuse that you'd find lying about. Upon that throne sits a man just as strangely put together as the throne itself. His long hair covers his face, barely concealing the scars that track down his grizzled cheeks. As the party enter the room, he seems to have eyes only for Dar, and a large, leering grin appears on his face. He holds up a hand, and the noise around the room quietens immediately. This man clearly has some power and influence. Locking eyes with the halfling, he tilts his head back and leers. Hello, Dar. What we are about to experience here is a very, very good bit of roleplay from one of my players. I had not prepared this ahead of time. I had not informed him that he was going to be the focal point in any sort of way. But he managed this particular section with absolute class, is the only way I can put it. Uh, so here we go. Hello, Dar. The man leered. Dar shuffled his feet slightly, peeking out from under his hood. Hi, Nathaniel. Where is it, Dar? You said you'd have it back by now. Well, it's complicated. You'll you'll get it back. You know I'm good. I know you're good for taking things from me, Dar. How long ago did I send you to get it? Must have been about two weeks now? Yeah, that's what I make it as well. Exactly a week longer than you said it was going to take. His eyes rove across the rest of the party. And I see you've managed to make some new friends in the meantime. They're going to help you bring it back to me, are they? Actually, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what happened. Uh, I hired these guys to help me find it and bring it back to you. Uh, but they weren't available until just now. So we're going to head out and get it as soon as possible. How does that sound to you? Dar, if you're lying to me again, <laughs> Nathaniel, I wouldn't do that again. It's just the thing is, I found out that it has been moved and it is now in Sandpoint. And that is a week away. So I am going to need two weeks to go out, get it, and then bring it back to you. But it's okay. These guys, and he slaps to Jack on the shoulder, are going to help me do it. Isn't that right? The party hesitantly nod. Right. Two weeks then, is it? I suppose given the nature of what I want back, that seems acceptable. All right, Dar, you've got two weeks. But if you don't get it back, I'm sending people after you. Nathaniel, Nathaniel, when have I ever let you down, eh? You know what, don't answer that. Uh, we'll go, we'll go right now. Okay, bye. Yeah, see ya, bye, 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 bye. The party head outside, and immediately they surround Dar, demanding answers. Look, okay, so Nathaniel has this thing. It's a ruby, and he had it enchanted so that if he dies... It can store his soul and it can be restored to his body, right? It's kind of like this whole immortality thing. And I thought it would be hilarious to steal that from him and sell it. But there's one problem. Uh, he found out it was me and now I am going to die if I don't get it and bring it back to him. The party stand around aghast. You mean we're going back to Sandpoint? We were just there. <laughs> Which I found really funny because... <laughs> Uh, like I said, I hadn't planned for this, and one of the players has sent them exactly back to the place where they just were, and that's not my fault, so I get to laugh at that. The party decide that before they go to Sandpoint, they're going to meet with Galadir, offload the fan, get paid, 
Find out if Galadir, for some reason, knows anything about orcs and where they can find the Black Tribe. And then once they've established that, they'll head off to Sandpoint then. They're really putting Dar low on the list of priorities because he's got himself into this and now he's dragged them in with him. So they find a tavern, they spend the night, and they go back to Galadir's shop in the morning, when it's open, like a normal party would. Galadir is a very respectable half-elf. He greets the party warmly, and inquires as to what he can help them find in his shop of magical curios. The party inform him that they're there to hand over the fan, and he's delighted. Upon presenting it to him, he looks it over, clearly excited to have such a relic in his collection. The party ask whether he knows anything about the deity, Vez. And he replies that, unfortunately, he doesn't know much. He knows that a few hundred years ago, she used to be worshipped, but she fell out of favour for some reason. And really, she's only worshipped by the occasional cult and madmen. She has no influence. There are no clerics who derive power from her, that sort of thing. Seeing this as a conversational dead end, the party then ask about orcs and where they might find the location of the Black Village. Again, Galadir unfortunately doesn't know. However, he is aware that one of the Scarni gangs, the Gallowed, has an orcish member named Fetch. Dar groans. When the party ask why, he explains that the Gallowed are opposed to Nathaniel's gang, the Keel. Though this could be a problem, the party also consider that aligning themselves with the Gallowed could give them the upper hand over Nathaniel. When the Jack asks where he might find the Gallowed, Galadir tells him that he believes they often congregate in a pub in the marches known as the Hanged Man. No, I didn't steal that from Dragon Age. You can't prove anything. With that, the party's course is set. They will go to the Hanged Man, speak to the Gallowed, see if they can find out any information on the Orcs, and then attend to Dar's trifling matter of his impending doom. And with that, we'll end the session. <laughs> Thank you very much, as always, for joining me and listening to me ramble about my Pathfinder games. Uh, it is very fun for me, and I hope you enjoy it as well. I feel like I'm really getting into the swing of things now. As ever, please come and join me on Twitter, at BardReally, if you'd like to have a chat. Maybe leave a comment on the website, reallybardideas.com, while I will also have a blog post with extra information on this particular episode of the podcast. And I'm considering starting my own uh, Discord. If anyone would be interested, I'd be keen to hear about it. So I hope you will join me next time for Session 5, Ava Butchers at This.